friends, and welcome to Life of Love. I'm so excited today because we get to share some magical stories and conversations with a new friend that I've met, Steve Gallegos. He he has a wealth of stories, and he's going to share some special ones with us and share his magic and his, his goal um, to empower and inspire people just to to live their best life and and to find their superpowers. So we're going to dig into that a little bit too. And um, without further ado, I'd love to introduce Steve Gallegos. Welcome to the show, Steve. Julie, thank you so much for producing this show and for creating such great content for the world. I appreciate being a guest. Reading your bio is like we talked about in the pre-interview or our talk behind the scenes, it's like you've had several lifetimes. Would you like to just share a little bit about your experiences so the audience can appreciate all the journeys you've had? All the journeys. Yeah, that's that's a good way to put it. Um, I have had uh, some people have called me a cat with nine and ten lies. Um, others have said, you know, you're the like the ideal Renaissance man. And I don't know what I am. I just know that um, I like doing different things and I like finding different ways to serve. And it happens that I didn't know it at the time. But each time I move into a different career, it's just an extension of my purpose. It's an extension of what I was doing before. And so I'm literally just kind of advancing up the ladder. So I started as a uh, United States Marine. Uh, From there, I moved on to being a law enforcement officer in Santa Barbara, California. From there, I moved to being a recording artist, a singer-songwriter recording artist, having my own uh, record label production company. And I had my debut CD was considered for a Grammy Award in the year 2000. Um, I was also a board certified civil trial lawyer at the time. I served a lot in the entertainment industry. Um, And since then, I've become also a published uh, award-winning author, commercial photographer, uh, international speaker, and I love to bake. I love to bake cookies as well. So that's one of my other passions and hobbies. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Do you sleep, Steve? I mean, you just don't sleep, I guess. No, no. (laughs) Sleeping is is not in the equation. No, actually, you know what? Um, As the more, the wiser I get and the more experienced I become, I find that sleep is critically important because it's it's how you recharge your batteries, right? And, And we live in a society that you know, kind of celebrates the go, go, go and get things done and hustle, hustle, hustle. But the reality is that those or that level of activity, I'm not saying people should be lazy, but that level of activity, uh, including in our relationships, uh, will uh, diminish our performance. Yes, yes. I just, I guess my comment was, you know, not to minimize sleep, but just to acknowledge the energy you've put out into the world and how much, how much recuperation you must need, right? Yeah. I get that. Yeah. Since you're such a great storyteller, we, we said we wanted to talk about a love story and um, and maybe we can involve superpowers with the love story and might all come together. But that was another thing on my heart to ask you about today. So, yes, what was that wonderful love story you had in your mind? Uh, thank you for the opportunity to share that. It's one of my favorite stories to share because it, it reveals um, that we all have superpowers and we just need to... Uh, create the opportunity to get in touch with that superpower. It happens that um, when I was young, when I was a a young kid, um, I was called good for nothing. 
by my family, by my parents. Um, actually, my full name was absolutely good for nothing. And so the more that I, I was called and referenced as good for nothing, the more good for nothing I became. Such that by the time that I'm 17 years old, Julie, I attempted to commit suicide several times because I didn't know that I had any worth or value. I didn't know um, that I had a future. I had no vision for the future. And so I tried ending, ending my life um, several times, but it turns out I couldn't even do that right. And I guess that's a good thing. Um, but I was saved partly because a uh, my high school girlfriend at the time gave me a book uh, by Norman Vincent Peale called The Power of Positive Thinking. And to tell you the truth, I did not understand much of what that book had to say because I was just so lost uh, anyway. But there were seven words in there that captured my attention, which were change your thoughts and change your world. Now, I didn't know that it was possible to change your thoughts. And even though the author explained it in the book very clearly and succinctly, it didn't make any sense to me. But I knew that I could change my world because I'd run away from home numerous times before. And I said, yes, this is, I want to get away from home. So I ran away from, I mean, I, yeah, I ran away from home. I ended up taking my life by joining the Marine Corps. Now, to get to the love story part, it happened that all through my my young life when I was uh, being abused mentally and physically and, you know, being called names and, and physically beat up and those kinds of things, there was one thing that I could do, which was sing. I could sing like nobody's business. And whenever my mom's friends came over to visit, she would say, Mijo, come and sing for the neighbors and uh and so I was like a Pavlov dog for the opportunity to get attention, admiration, and what I thought was love. At the time, I thought that was love because people applauded me. They said, more, you know, let, let us just sing another one, sing another one. And so at four or five years old, I learned that that's what love was. Love was singing. You open your mouth, you get attention, you do anything else, and you get hit over the head with a frying pan. Right? That was my, my lesson. And so I grew up pursuing wanting to be uh, a superstar international singer. Uh, Julio Iglesias, I don't know if you recognize that name. Um, yes. Yeah. Most, <laughs> most women over the age of 30 uh, do uh, recognize who he is. Mm -hmm. um, and the power and the magic that he held to captivate audiences. And so I thought that that's the life that I wanted because that's how you get love and admiration and respect as you become a singer. So all throughout my young life, I sang every opportunity that I could get in chase of love, in, in search of love. But the thing is, Julie, I didn't know at the time that I was looking for love. It didn't happen until uh, I was an adult and I was living in Los Angeles as, like I said, an entertainment lawyer, uh, pursuing a music career at the same time. And I was doing really well in some certain respects. But as a lawyer, I got to see inside, behind the curtain of what the entertainment industry is, what the music industry is, what the film and television industry is. And it's only recently that we've heard about the Me Too movement and all of the abuses going on in Hollywood, et cetera. But these things have been going on. You could relate to that. Absolutely, right? absolutely. You could totally relate. I've mm -hmm. experienced it personally, and also my clients, many of my clients, um, came to me with stories and um, 
experiences that they've had in in that arena with those types of abuses and it's interesting because you're in a position that you're wanting something that Hollywood has and Hollywood has so much power over you that a lot of people are willing to be abused and to accept whatever comes their way simply for the opportunity to be on stage, for the opportunity to be recognized, for the opportunity to be on a film or whatever it is that they're searching for. And so I had this conflict that I was really troubled by the industry itself and the negativity, but yet why did I want to be such a huge part of this industry? Why did I want to be on that international stage? And it turned out that the more I thought about it and the more I went deep inside to discover what my reasoning was, it turned out that what I was looking for was love, admiration, and respect. And I thought that being on stage, being admired by the audiences is how you got it. And once I realized that's what I was looking for, Julie, I said, well, there's got to be a different way, right? There's got to be another avenue other than the music industry. And so with that knowing, or at least with that step toward clarity, because I wasn't clear yet, right? It was a step toward clarity Mm -hmm. that I didn't need to be in the music industry. I could do it elsewhere. And so I left the music industry altogether. I left Los Angeles. I left the practice of law and reinvented myself in Dallas, Texas as a commercial photographer. That's another way to get love, I thought, because you walk into any restaurant, you walk into historical buildings, and what do you see? Photos from the 1800s and the 1900s of people in their workplaces and on bridges and doing all kinds of activities that they were engaged in at the time. And so as a photographer, you get to create memories and you get revered and you get celebrated and you get honored and you get published. And I thought, all right, this is my, this is where I belong. And it wasn't until uh, 2008. So here I am in Dallas now creating this beautiful career as a commercial photographer, yet I was still dissatisfied. I didn't have quote unquote love in my life. I was always searching for it. The next client, the next uh, photography exhibit, the next opportunity I had to stand up in front of an audience to show my work. I was still after that. Fast forward to January 2008, I'm in Las Vegas at the Hilton Hotel for a conference, a success conference. And the speaker is on stage and he puts up Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And I'm sure most of your audience is familiar with that. Maslow is a psychologist from, I don't know, the 60s or 50s. And he determined that all humans have these seven things that we need, among them are which love, security, self-esteem, etc. And so he puts up this chart and then he asks a question. He says, or rather he made a statement. He said, this is what all humans on earth are looking for, according to Professor Maslow. But if you're looking for these things, means you don't have them. And then he asked a poignant question. If you don't have them, how can you give it away? And Julie, almost in an instant, it dawned on me that I had been looking for love all my life. And when we look for something, we're acknowledging or we're telling the universe that we don't have it. And if we don't have it, how can we give it away? So no wonder I didn't have love in my life, right? A a relationship, a a partner, 
Um, I had been divorced for 10 years, for about 10 years at that time. Um, and I'd been looking, but, you know, failed relationships, relationships not working out, you know, bad relationships, making bad choices, etc. And it's because I didn't have love to give. And once it dawned on me, I was able to make an instant connection with everything that I had tried previously in my life. And I stood up in the middle of that ballroom, not being, I, I didn't raise my hand or anything. I just stood up. I said, are you effing kidding me? And everybody in the in the everybody in the ballroom turns and looks at me. Who's this guy? Right, I'm sitting in the back of the room because I had arrived late. Are you effing kidding me? I said all my life, I've been looking for love, and you're telling me that if I don't have love, I can't give it away. So I need to have love first. And he said, gently and quietly, that's correct. I said, oh my god. So I sat down. And instantly, I was, like I said, it, it was like my entire previous life crossed before me, and I had seen all my mistakes. I had become aware of all my inability to find a, a quality relationship, and it's because I was looking for something that I was not prepared to give, right? Because I was seeking mm-hmm. love. I was seeking love from outside of myself. And when we do that in the sense of a relationship, we, we enter relationships based on need, right? In other words, if we get what we believe is love or, or attention or respect from another person, we think, oh, they love me. I need that person. I need to be with that person. I need that person in my life. And the minute that person, Julie, your partner, forgets, the minute they're sick and they don't say I love you, the minute they forget your birthday, the minute they forget Valentine's Day, the minute they forget their anniversary, all of a sudden you're thinking, oh, they don't love me anymore. And this is where the problems begin, right? Because we're in the relationship based on what we need, what we can get from that person. And if that person forgets or is unable or simply is just too darn tired to give it anymore, all of a sudden, we feel unloved, rejected, unwanted, undesired, and then we start looking for answers elsewhere. And so there start the affairs, there start the addictions, there start the distractions, there start all of the problems in a relationship. So it also happens that at that particular event, I found the woman who was going to be my wife, and I declared it so at that event. It was after this revelation that the speaker made. And I had noticed this woman sitting in the ballroom. She was several tables away from me. These were round tables of 10. And we kept making eyes at each other. And it happened that, and, and so I tested the theory. I said, is this, you know, like accident or is she doing this on purpose, like trying to catch my attention? And so I would write notes in my notebook and all of a sudden I would glance up to look at her and I would invariably catch her looking at me at the same time. I said, all right, this has happened more than once, more than three times, more than 10 times. This is no longer a coincidence. This is, hmm, something's going on here. So um, that first evening, again, this is after we made that revelation, that first evening, we ended the conference at about 9 p.m., 8.30 p.m., And we're in the Hilton Hotel. And so my friend Mike and I that had attended from Dallas, we said, hey, let's go get something to eat. We're hungry. It's been a long day. Okay, great. So 
First restaurant we go to is a Tex-Mex restaurant. We, nope, we get Tex-Mex in Dallas all the time. Let's find something else. 30 minutes later, having toured the entire hotel and all of the restaurants, we end up back at the Tex-Mex restaurant. Fine, let's just go in here, get a bite to eat and call it a day. Well, we're seated by the hostess and what happens is I look about 15, 20 feet away from me and the woman from the conference is sitting there with her table mates and they're getting ready to leave because they had obviously been there, enjoyed their meal. They knew what they wanted to eat much, much sooner than we did. And I, I elbow my friend Mike and I go, Mike, look, there's the girl from the conference. And he goes, yeah, I see her. I go, well, stop looking at her. She's mine. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so it happened that I was seated in such a way that Everybody from her table, in order to exit the restaurant, they had to come towards me and turn in order to reach the door. So I was like a guard, right? I was like guarding the hallway, the pathway for them to exit. And so she had to come by me. There was no other way that she could exit the restaurant without coming by me. And so she's the last one to leave her table. She starts walking towards us and I'm looking at her, trying to make eye contact with her. She's not making eye contact until maybe five, seven feet from the table. Suddenly she just raises her eyes, looks at me and gives me a gentle nod and acknowledgement. And I kind of mouth the word hi. And then she turns to exit the restaurant and took three or four steps. And Julie, you could literally see the hand of an angel, what we like to say, or Cupid, shoot her in the back with an arrow and say, stop, turn around and go back to the table because she did. She stopped dead in her tracks, turned around, and it was, I was watching her, and it was like, this wasn't a joyful voluntarily, hey, I want to meet you guys. This was like a, mm, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm being pulled back towards you for some reason. And and when she tells this story, it's just as beautiful and, and funny because she tells it from her point of view, says, I wanted nothing to do with men. I wanted nothing to do with him. Yeah, I was kind of attracted, and I knew that there was something there but um i wasn't i i was purposely wanting to avoid him is is my wife's perspective well, i mean steve can i can i interject because yes. i'm just dying here i mean here you're an ex-cop an ex-marine and you're on a mission you're like you know exactly what you want i mean that's that was probably a little intimidating for her um you you don't know the half you don't know the half of it yet yes because it, it wasn't long after that um i you know it was like what maybe 2 weeks later where i'm painting this vision for us uh of rollerblading hand in hand and doing things in Dallas and all this together and this we weren't even dating yet but i'm already painting this picture because i knew what i wanted right so anyway so mm -hmm. um getting back to the story so she comes to the table yeah. i stood up pull out the chair for her to sit down she says i can only stay a minute so of course of course we know it's late hi what's your name what do you do for a living you know the the pleasantries the usual exchange of information what are you guys doing here how do you know the speaker all this stuff and it was just a few minutes and i'm sure that within that conversation as we would normally do i asked her where are you from and all i heard her say was i live across the street from you in dallas texas the reality is what wait wait the reality the reality <laughs> is julie is that she lived in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. 
but like I said, I didn't hear that because I was just like so, oh my God, this this girl is amazing. This woman's amazing. And I like her a lot. I don't know why, but I'm feeling this beautiful energy between us. And and I what I'm sharing is that she told me a bunch of things, but I don't remember what she said, right? Because it wasn't, I was somewhere else. And so I'm sure that I asked her, where do you live? And I'm sure that she told me Calgary, Alberta, Canada. But what I heard was, I live across the street from you in Dallas, Texas. Because had I acknowledged and had I heard or become aware that she lived in Canada, my immediate thought would have gone, oh, this is never going to work, right? She's geographically right, undesirable. Right. You know, how can I possibly make this work? So because I didn't hear that or I didn't capture that information, I just assumed that we were going to get married, right? Because at the end of the conference, three days later, we didn't have a, a chance to talk. This wasn't one of those experiences where like, hey, let's go have a drink or let's go have dinner or let's get together. None of that happened during the conference. We were so busy with activities and learning and group sessions and those kinds of things. It wasn't until three days later, the conference is ending. It's a Thursday afternoon. I'm standing at my table saying goodbye to one of the people that I was I had been sitting with. And I see Alethea come up behind her with her little suitcase and she stands in line. And so I immediately excuse myself, turn my attention toward Alethea. She said, I just want to say it was a you know, pleasure meeting you and I got to go catch a plane and bye. And she gave me a hug. And that hug was everything that I needed to know because I stood there kind of like with my jaw open as she turns around and she starts walking out of the ballroom. The lady I had been talking to is probably looking at me like, what happened to this dodo bird? You know, they, they, where did he go? But I'm just staring at Alethea walking out the door. And I said to myself, I'm going to marry that woman. And so the next day, my friend and I fly home to Dallas and the first thing I do is I throw my suitcases on the floor, go to my computer, and I compose a message to Alethea because she had given me her email address. And I said something along the lines of, hey, you know, I just got home. I hope you made it home safe and sound and all of those things. Um, I go to bed, go about the, I mean, I go about the rest of my day, go to bed, wake up the next morning. It's a Saturday. The first thing I do is go check my computer. And I had a response from Alethea. I go, yay. And I checked the time and it was like 2.30 in the morning. I go, wow, this is really cool. And so that started this conversation between us. And it was during this email sequence that I realized that she lived in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And I'm like, oh, no. How far is Canada from <laughs> Dallas? How long will it take me to drive? How long will it take me to walk? How, you know, I didn't know anything about Canada or, or Calgary or anything. So anyway, so long story short. We kept this relationship going long distance for three years. We spoke maybe after the first uh, month or so of communicating via email. We started telephone conversations and we spoke every night for three years, except for the times that we were together where she was either visiting me in Dallas or I was visiting her in Calgary or she was away with her family on their annual vacations. We spoke every night and you know, for one to two to three hours, generally. Um, and I credit the magic of the relationship that we have right now, Julie, is not having that physical proximity required us to get to know each other emotionally, spiritually, and intellectually 
on the phone through these beautiful conversations that we had, right? And so when we did get together for a week or weekends, um, long weekends, et cetera, that she was able to get away uh, and come visit in Dallas, it was even much more magical. Um, so anyway, because of immigration issues, et cetera, it took us, you know, about three years before we could um, line up her fiance visa. And um, we got married in 2010. And so here we are just having the time of our lives in Denver, um, spending more time together as a result of COVID than we were spending already, but loving it, loving every minute. We're business partners, we're partners in life. And it's all because I had to become the person that she wanted to be with, number one. I had to change, right? It wasn't that I needed her to fill me, I needed her to give me, I needed her to do for me, all those things. I cannot make her or anybody happy, right? That's not my responsibility. And neither is it her responsibility to make me happy. Oh, yeah, we do things to each other and we say things from time to time to annoy each other and, you know, get into disagreements and those kinds of things. But that's when we're out of awareness. That's when we're busy and we're hungry and we're tired and we've had enough. And, you know, the the typical frustrations that couples face every single day. But when you're in your aware space, when you're in that moment, you realize that, I'm happy just being me and I don't need you to tell me that I'm this, that, or the other for me to be fulfilled and satisfied and to be happy. And because of that awareness on both of our parts, we're able to celebrate each other in just such a way that we're constantly trying to outdo each other to see who can do the most for the other, right? Now that to me is is how you find magic in the relationship is let go of the need be happy within yourself, be satisfied within yourself. And when you do that, oh my gosh, the whole world opens up. The unconditional love. I'm going to love you. If, even if you can't show up for me today, I'm still, I'm still here. And, and that does come from a different place than that expectation or that validation. And I was just reflecting and I don't, I mean, I'm sure you've gone through a lot with when you were telling me about your childhood and, and all this, that, that revelation standing up, are you effing kidding me? You could let go of what your family did to you because obviously they never felt love either, that they could treat you like that. You're right. So it's like peels, like layers of just junk could just fall off of you right there. And then you could just let it go because it's nobody's fault, right? It's like... You are... You're breaking the cycle. You are 100% correct, Julie. And it wasn't until that moment um, that I started to realize that also that the reason that my mom was so abusive toward me because she too was abused as a child. And so her training, her programming was, um, you know, being physically abusive is just part of the process of showing love to my kids. It's how I show them I love them and care about them, right? Um it had nothing to do with, you know, her being an evil, mean person, although she did what I considered no. evil, mean things that wasn't her, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't really her. It's what she did, but it wasn't her, the person. Yeah, that if we can, if we can get away from the judgment, you know, we don't have to accept behaviors. 
This is the way I look at it. We don't have to accept behaviors. We can say that doesn't work for me and I'm removing myself from this like you did. You're like, I'm going to the Marines. I'm going to get out of this hellhole. And you had every right to do it. You shouldn't have stayed. Right. That that would have been, you probably would have succeeded on your first way to get out of it, which would have been so sad because you're such an amazing life force. I'm just like in awe. <laughs> I just love, I love how you shared. And, and that's how you've grown into the the beautiful masculine entity that you are. And, and you're, you're encouraging everyone to get there to their superpower. I just... I'm clapping for you. Exactly, and and that's the thing. If we, if if we can just let go of that need, the need to be wanted, the need to be desired, the need to be needed by someone else, and we can just give away. I think Tony Robbins, one of my mentors, he says, you know, relationships. You don't enter relationships to get. You enter relationships to give. And so I wonder how much more magic we could create in the world if couples decided, all right, let's just get in here and see who can outgive each other, not materially. It's not about buying presents and diamonds and cars and homes, but just serve each other, right? It's like, no, it's my turn to get you water, right? It's let me make dinner for you. Let me make, you know, let me do that for you. Let me do. And it's not that the you're finding the other person inadequate or incapable. In fact, here's mm. another funny story. I'm very, I, I'm, I'm Hispanic, right? Latino. And so I grew up showing respect for women, opening doors, opening um, car doors, those kinds of things. My wife didn't grow up with that. She didn't grow up in that environment. And so when she got together with me, she would come visit, I would open doors for her. And she was very resistant and hesitant to, um, in other words, she didn't embrace that. And I saw that. And she's like, I don't need you to open doors for me. I'm very capable of opening the door myself because she thought I was taking away her power. And once I explained where it was from, it wasn't that I see you as less than or less capable because she's a, a, a jujitsu expert and she had already taken me down physically. Right. And so I knew that, you know, it wasn't a physical weakness kind of thing. It wasn't a masculine thing. It's just like I open doors for men. It doesn't, I'm walking in the building, there's a man come behind me. I don't just slam the door. I hold the door open for men, women, kids, it doesn't matter. That's who I am. And so she said, once she learned the reasoning behind it, she said, okay, I'll let you open the doors for me, but how about you don't do it all the time? I said, all right, when should I do it? She says, how about um, after 3 p.m., right? After 3 p.m., this is her reasoning, after 3 p.m., you can open doors for me. The, okay. <laughs> so that's what I did. I start, And then she realized how goofy that was, uh, you know, that rationale uh, didn't make sense. And so now she loves that I open door, doors for her. In fact, I call her my executive protection detail. I said, honey, you're my executive protection detail. I'm here to protect you. Make sure no one runs up behind you or us or, you know, that you don't slip falling into the car or anything like that because she's my most precious gift Ugh. from God. So why wouldn't I want to protect And it's that? angelic. Those little cupids were right there. I just, oh, my goodness. The energy around you. Exactly. I, I wish I could have seen it. I bet, I bet people in the restaurant noticed it. The best thing that ever happened in that Tex-Mex restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> in Las Vegas, of all places, right? When we tell Las people we met, in, we met in Las Vegas, you know, the first thing they think of, oh, you know, you were at a club, you were partying, you were this. No, it wasn't that at all. There was, there was nothing like that. 
Oh my goodness. Mm. I just love that. And you know that Tony Robbins, he's he was a major influence in, in awakening my husband to, to where I was spiritually because he was he was following along my coattails and I was like, Hey, let's go, let's go spend a weekend in Tampa. And there's this guy, he's going to talk and inspire. And he's, he's, he'll help you be a better entrepreneur. Cause my husband loves, he's a, he's a doctor, but he also likes the business end of it. And he likes to, you know, just explore and he's curious about business building. And so I, you know, Tony was, was a major, major fuel in the fire. Well, he actually walked on fire that weekend. Oh, did you? <laughs> it was so fun. I, <laughs> but you're I, exhausted. Never... I mean, you can't even put sentences together after a day at one of those conferences. I bet. I bet. Was that difficult for you to walk? I mean, it was mentally as, as much as physical, right? But literally, you yeah. didn't feel anything? You didn't feel the coals on your feet? I did feel. I felt. But it wasn't as intense as I thought. Hmm. No, and and he he did the drumming. It was shamanic, um, but I just love he had that cameo in that movie Shallow Hal. I don't yeah, know if you saw him, that was just yeah. he's just such a he's just such a great force too, and I can see how you align with him. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And um, the synchronicities, um, I had learned about a lot of the the power struggles in in the entertainment business and how, you know, it was, it wasn't so much as a me too movement, but you know, I, I can relate to what you're talking about. And it was one of the reasons I wrote my book was I was like, I got to teach people to love each other better because people are looking for, they're looking for power and they're looking for affirmation, acceptance in the wrong ways. We've got to figure out a way to reach people. So it's been a driving force with my mission is just you know, let's figure out how to be there for each other. Like you said, how to give for each other, but we have to know that's, that's a relationship is like giving and loving, not conditionally, not because you're going to get something back because it's just, that's just what you do. And then it's just energy, right? You're, whatever you give is what you receive because that's your frequency. Like you couldn't even acknowledge that she couldn't be next to you across the street because that wasn't even in your field. It's just, it was, your story is just so on so many levels, just so inspiring. So thank you so much. Thank you for that. And thank you also for how you're showing up in the world and, and number one, producing this show. I know it's it's not easy to produce a show. It takes a long, a lot of time, a lot of commitment, a lot of dedication, a lot of equipment and, and energy from you to give to other people. And it's just sad, as you pointed out, Julie, that we're not taught these things at the appropriate time in our lives, how to be there for each other, how to find the remarkable elements of someone else, because we're so focused on chasing success. And, and success means um, I need to do better than you. I need to have a better car than Julie. I need to have a, oh, what, Julie and her husband have a big pool now? I need a bigger pool, right? You guys have a brand new car. I need an even brand newer car, right? This is how we measure success is I have more than you, as opposed to just sitting down and listening to Julie's story and finding out, wow, she went through some stuff. And that I find that remarkable, the fact that, Julie's still here today with us. Um, the fact that anybody is still here today on this planet, yeah. I know that you've had struggles and challenges and you've been through some things. 
And you need to share that with people so they could see how remarkable and amazing you are because you matter. Your story matters. Mm, absolutely. That's how I started my website. I always had, and you matter with every post. I <laughs> just love that you Indeed. said that. Yeah. We're in, we're in synchronicity. Yeah. And if, you know, that's, you're encouraging people to share their story. And did you want to, did you want to promote what you're doing to encourage people to share their story with the TED Talk? Yes, thank you. And it's not so much mm -hmm. promotion as it is just making mm -hmm. people aware that we created a platform, Julie, to allow the everyday person to share their inspiring story. It's uh, stories that inspire humanity. It's called the Voices of Impact Awards. And the realization came to me, having been able to share my story, including this one about me and, and Alethea and how we met, um, having been able to share our story and people always saying, hey, Steve, love your story. Thank you for sharing it. I'm inspired. I'm motivated. You gave me hope. You gave me you know, reason to keep on living. And those kinds of comments. And I'm like, well, you know, you're just as inspiring. You need to go out and share your story. And then we walk away. And I realize, wait a minute, that person's not an author. They're not pursuing a career to be the next Tony Robbins or Oprah or Julie. So where are they going to share their story? So it took me a couple of years, but we developed the Voices of Impact Awards, which is a celebration of the people with stories that inspire humanity. It means that everyday people can come and share their inspiring story. What does that mean? That means that if you're an executive, you're a stay-at-home mom, if you're a first responder, you're a nurse, you're a doctor, you're a lawyer, it doesn't matter what you do for a living or whether you've ever spoken on stage before. This is a platform where you can apply. And if you're one of the finalists, you're going to get a cash award. The, final, the grand prize winner is going to get $20,000 uh, cash. Um, there's like a total of 18 awards and you know lifetime impact and student impact because we're open for college students as well and i want to encourage this to be that safe place where people can come and share their heroic stories because it's mm -hmm. one of the ways that they can contribute to society without having money without having you know being the, the jeff bezos and owning amazon you can actually contribute to the life of another simply by sharing what you've been through what you learned, how you came out the other end. And that, that, my friends, is just enough to save someone's life. Mm, I love it. I'll put a link to that and how to contact that organization and how to, how to apply and the steps um, in the show notes. So anyone who's interested, or even if, even if you thought of someone when you heard this, my listeners, if you, you know, got sparked and someone's name came in your head, that's a sign that you're supposed to share that with that person. So don't ignore it, please. You got to yeah. give. <laughs> That's a sign. I love it. Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. Well, I do appreciate your time and, and I just, I'm just adoring this conversation and I just so much gratitude for you and your mission. And I'm just happy to be in the same field as you right now, Steve. Thank you. Julie, thank you so much, um, and much love to you and your family and all of your audience as we uh, move into the move into the holidays. 
Thanks for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed the episode. As always, you can go to my website and make any comments, suggestions, just share anything that's on your heart about any of the episodes. If you visit www.youneedapeptalk.com, you can find every episode and feel free to share. Your subscription to my podcast really matters. So if you can subscribe, share, like, go to Apple and rate my podcast, that really helps my listenership and gets my message out to as many people as possible. So I do appreciate that. And as always, enjoy each day as each moment is a chance to create the life of your dreams. Take care.